Hi everyone, Sarah Schaefer here. Thanks for checking out Art History Happy Hour. The episode that follows is back from when our podcast was called State of the Arts, and you can now find our episode blog and other resources, including a link to our Patreon page at arthistoryhappyhour.com. Welcome to State of the Arts, the podcast that explores how art and its history shape our world today. My name is Sarah Schaefer. And I'm Tina Rivers-Ryan. And for today's episode, we're going to be discussing uh, the recent attacks on the French satirical newspaper Charlie Hebdo. Since the attacks, there has been a lot of discussion in the media, and we're sure there will continue to be a lot of discussion in the media surrounding the politics um, that are implicated in in the attack. So the debate about radical Islam, about um, French nationalist politics, about freedom of speech. And these are really important issues. And we thought that one thing we could do to contribute to the conversation would be to place Charlie Hebdo in the social and historical context of French political satire. Charlie Hebdo, which roughly tra translates to Charlie Weekly, Hebdo is short for Hebdo Mare, which in French means weekly, uh, is a, is a left-wing satirical newspaper. Um, it was started uh, in, in 1969, 1970, um, after the government banned the newspaper Harakiri for offending public taste. And uh, many of the journalists and cartoonists who worked for Harakiri uh, went on to also work for uh, Charlie Hebdo. Charlie Hebdo is named after the journal Charlie Mensuel, which means Charlie Monthly, a comics magazine uh, that was uh, started by one of the founders of, of Charlie Hebdo. And that took its name from Charlie Brown, uh, the, the uh, character in the Peanuts comic strip by Charles Schultz. And it's also a, a sly reference to Charles de Gaulle. Uh, Charlie Hebdo originally ran from 1969 until 1981 when it folded, but it was later relaunched in 1992. And it's a journal that's been the subject of a lot of controversy at, at many points in its history. Um, most recently, uh, in November of 2011, they released an issue that had the name Sharia Hebdo. Um, this, is, of course, is a reference to Sharia law, uh, religious law that carries uh, legal weight in many Muslim countries, um, including uh, exacting really harsh physical punishments, uh, things like flogging and stoning for people who have committed certain crimes. The, the Sharia Ebdo issue was purported to be guest edited by the Prophet Muhammad, and the front cover of that, uh, of that issue had a caricature depicting Muhammad saying, a hundred lashes if you don't die of laughter. Uh, a day before that issue was released, and they had uh, Shirley Hebdo had circulated that image, the image of Muhammad on from the front page uh, on social media for several days beforehand. Um, the day before the actual issue was released, uh, the Shirley Hebdo office uh, was firebombed, and the paper's website was hacked. Later, in September of 2012, Shirley Hebdo released a series of caricatures of Muhammad, which included some pretty lewd, uh, nude images. Um, and these were published only about a week after the attacks on U.S. embassies in the Middle East, including the, the Benghazi attack. Um, as a result of that uh, publication, France actually increased security on its, on its own embassies um, and on the newspaper's offices. 
we're recording this episode of our podcast on January 12th. So obviously the, the news about the attacks is going to continue to be developing. But as of today, what we know is that um, the Charlie Hebdo attack was actually the first in a series of coordinated attacks by members of what appear to be um, the, the, a single jihadist cell. The first attack happened on Wednesday, January 7th, when two brothers entered the offices of Charlie Hebdo and killed um, 12 people and injured more than a dozen others. Uh, the next day, a French policewoman was gunned down. And on uh, the third day, four hostages uh, were killed when another terrorist took hostages at a Jewish supermarket. Um, there is a fourth uh, person who might be involved who is um, uh, still at large. While we're not sure yet exactly what the affiliation is between this group of terrorists or terrorist cell and larger organizations like Al-Qaeda or ISIS, it has been reported that the gunman um, supposedly shouted Allahu Akbar, uh, meaning the prophet is avenged, during the attack at Charlie Hebdo. And that sort of suggests, I mean, obviously we can't be sure, but people have speculated that um, that idea of the prophet being avenged has to do with these uh, caricatures of Muhammad that are seen by uh, many Muslims as blasphemous. Now I want to step back and talk about the tradition of French political caricature of which Charlie Hebdo has become a, a significant part in, in recent decades. Um, this is a subject that I've spent some time uh researching in the past. I actually wrote my undergraduate thesis on this subject. And the first instance that I want to cite as as a really interesting and um and influential moment in in the history of, of political satire and images came in the 1830s. This is approximately 40 years after the first revolution, the first French Revolution, which, of course, um, overturned royal authority, overturned clerical authority. Um, and there had been a series of political regimes that followed. There was a restoration of the monarchy. There was, of course, Napoleon and the first French Empire. Um, but by the 1830s, there had been put in place what was called uh, a constitutional monarchy, and the 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 uh, he was called the citizen king uh, was Louis Philippe, and many people had sort of high hopes for for this constitutional monarchy, sort of a, a middle ground between an absolute monarchy and and rule by the people. By the 1830s, many French citizens started to become really disillusioned uh, with Louis Philippe. Anyone who's seen Les Miserables, uh, when you get to sort of the second act and all the, the political uprisings and the barricades, that's happening at this moment that we're going to be talking about in the mid-1830s. Uh, but one of the key figures who really targeted Louis Philippe at this time was a na publisher named uh, Charles Philippon. And he was the publisher of uh, the caricature journal La Caricature. Uh, and he was actually put on trial on the 14th of November, 1831 for outrages against the person of the king. So he had published these caricatures that were really lampooning Louis Philippe. His defense, though, was essentially that these characters that he, he published um, didn't, they never actually, there was no caption that specifically tied the representations 
to the king. And he said, a resemblance is not an attack. Um, basically that if you don't actually say who this person is, it can't be counted as an attack. Um, and he demonstrated this visually by producing a series of drawings. He started with um, a, a portrait of Louis Philippe. He drew this and um, did a series of th three additional drawings that sort of show the transition from that portrait to a pair. And his argument was that this final drawing, it's a pair, it's not the king. The result of this, though, ironically, was that the pair became this sort of mocking symbol for Louis Philippe. And um, just a note on French slang, um, poire, the word for pair, kind of has uh, this this um, connotation of a fathead, basically someone who's kind of dumb. Um, so the pair just became this really loaded symbol in the 1830s, so much so that the government started censoring any caricatures that included a pair because it was seen as this um, disparaging, critical uh, image relating to Louis Philippe. And um, at that time, Philippon's journal, by the mid-1830s, um, La Caricature had sort of folded and Philippon had started this new journal, La Charivari. Um, and one of their images was censored, so they had to send images to the sort of censorship board, and one of the images was censored. So what they did instead was take the, the verdict, the censorship verdict, and they published it in the shape of, of a pair. So, and we'll post an image of this um, so you can see it, but the, the, the actual um, typography of, of this image, which was on the front page of Le Charivari, was in the shape of the pair, but it was just a description of the verdict um, that, that censored this image. So really, really brilliant use of words as images to still carry that really charged political weight. Um, and there was really, you know, nothing that the censors could do about it. A second instance that really demonstrates the, the power of these satirical journals uh, in the 19th century happened at, at the very end of the century around a really polarizing series of events called the Dreyfus Affair. Uh, and uh, I want to I want to focus on an image from a journal uh, called La Libre Parole, which translates to basically free speech. Um, and it was a journal that was started in 1892 um, by author Edouard Drummond, um, and he was a very anti-Semitic figure uh, in 19th century France. And the paper itself was was also very very virulently. Uh, anti-Semitic. Uh, Drummond had published in 1886 a two-volume series of works called uh, Le, Fran Le France Juive, um, which is uh, Jewish France, um, which basically assessed what he called the Jewish problem and argued for the removal of Jews and Jewish, Jewish influence from France. As we say, history repeats itself. And uh, in this case, there actually are some interesting parallels between the, the Dreyfus affair and um, what's going on now in France. So um, this book that Sarah mentioned that was written by Drummond, La France Juive, uh, is actually somewhat, I think, um, sort of similar to the, the book that's coming out now called Submission by Michel Houellebecq, 
who is France's um, uh, best-selling living author. And it's actually the same author who was uh, on the cover of this week's issue of uh, Charlie Hebdo. Uh, he's depicted um, sort of in a you know typical satirical way. He looks a little bit drunk. Um, and he's making a bunch of predictions, like he's a fortune teller. And one of those predictions is that um, he will convert to Islam. Um, and... Uh, this refers to the fact that in this book that he has coming out, um, he imagines a future in which um, in order to defeat uh, uh, Marine Le Pen, the far right wing French politician, uh, more moderate forces join up with um, uh, moderate Muslim groups to form a new popular front. And it's this front that wins the election uh, and uh, actually will slowly um, basically take over French life and introduce Sharia law. So, I mean, I haven't read the book, but from what I can tell, it seems like this book in some sense is imagining um, not La France Juive, but uh, a French uh, Islamic state. The Dreyfus affair uh, began in, in uh, 1894 when Alfred Dreyfus, a Jewish captain in the army, was accused of handing over military secrets to the German embassy. And France had had a really rocky relationship with, with Germany um, for most of the 19th century, uh, and obviously into the 20th century as well. Um, and and Drummond's news, newspaper, La Libre Parole, uh, was one of the first newspapers to actually break this story. Um, Dreyfus was later convicted and sentenced to life imprisonment. He was sent to uh, Devil's Island in, in French Guiana. Uh, two years later, evidence emerged that another person was actually the culprit of, of handing over these military secrets, um, but that evidence was repressed and new fake documents um, were released that attested to uh, Dreyfus's guilt. He was actually resentenced. Uh, word soon spread of this cover-up, um, and it led to this fierce polarization among the French public. And they were roughly separated into Dreyfusards and anti-Dreyfusards, so people who were supportive of Dreyfus and those who um, opposed him. Uh, one article that you may be familiar with that really played into this debate was the the novelist Emile Zola's article J'accuse, um, which became a rallying cry for for Alfred Dreyfus and for the Dreyfusards. On the other end of the, the spectrum, you have Drummond in his publications, which really worked to incite uh, anti-Dreyfusards. Um, and in December 1895, La Libre Parole uh, published an issue with a cover titled La France aux Français, which means France for the French. And um, on this cover has a, character, a caricature which depicts these two strong shirtless men, one representing La Libre Parole and uh, as a farmhand digging up scandals, and the scandals are represented as these caricatured heads as, as weeds, and the other behind him is La Libre Parole uh, Illustre, which is um, the illustrated accompanying journal that went along uh, with La Libre Parole. Um, and, and that figure uh, is capturing this moment in a sketchbook. And uh, interestingly, part of the reason I, I wanted to talk about uh, this image is that it, it uses tropes that had actually been really common in leftist caricatures, uh, leftist caricature for decades. Um, so in the in the background, you have a rising sun. Um, obviously, this is a reference to farm labor. And both of these symbols had been really prevalent 
um, socialist and anarchist symbols. And especially in the 1890s, you have this huge rise in in anarchist um, politics and events and actually a number of terrorist attacks in Paris by anarchists. So you have this interesting moment of of the right-wing satirical press co-opting some of those symbols and using them for their own purposes. Um, we also see in that image uh, the figure representing Lili Parole with um, a, a quill sort of strapped behind his back um, and using those um, really concrete, easy to understand symbols is is a um, common feature of 19th century French caricature and as we'll see um, made its way into Charlie Hebdo's uh, images as well. This is a good way to actually segue into talking about Charlie Hebdo. And obviously we're um, jumping many decades into the future, but we can we can glean some of the visual strategies that we see in these earlier models um, in, in the strategies of Charlie Hebdo um, and its, its primary cartoonists. Just to make sure we're clear, I want to point out that the reason that Sarah is taking the trouble to go through and talk about cartoons that at this point are more than a century old is because there is something sort of unique about the tradition of visual satire in French culture. And so what we're trying to do for you today is to tease out the the historical context for Charlie Hebdo, which um, might not be so familiar to those of you, you know, to basically anybody who doesn't study French visual culture. Right. Some of the basic elements that are taken from from these 19th century precedents, um, number one, the fact that the covers of Charlie Hebdo basically have the the um, the title of the newspaper on top and then essentially a full page illustration. That's something that you see um, in the major caricature journals of the 19th century. Um, we also have this sort of radical simpli- simplification of forms. And this is something that um, becomes more and more so the case over the course of the 19th century. And there are a number of reasons for that. But if we look at um, some of the caricatures from the 1830s, they're much more detailed, um, even if they are, uh, you know, sort of grotesque and lampooning and, and not... Um, anatomically accurate in their portrayal of human forms that there still is um, a greater depth of modeling uh, representation of space and things like that than we get at the end of the century part of that has to do with uh, modes of production I mean if you're uh, having to produce images either every day or every week and then get them out to the public at times of harsh censorship. Um, you know, you've, you'll have to send it to the censors before it can be published. So these things need to do be done really quickly. But also that simplification of forms is meant to um, really draw the reader in and get a message across really clearly. I and mean, that's something that um, it's sort of your job as a caricaturist. We have the simplification of, of forms in 19th century caricature. It's taken to an even greater extent in the the works of, of Charlie Hebdo's um, cartoonists. Um, it's, these images often resemble sort of an American comic style, again, tying back to things like Charles Schultz's works, uh, the Peanuts comic strips, which is part of where the Charlie Hebdo name comes from. Um, 
we have much thicker contours on figures, really flat backgrounds. In some cases, it's just a, a flat color, and that's it. Um, and these really comical figures, especially in the images of the cartoonist Charb, um, who was uh, Stéphane Charbonnier, who was one of the cartoonists who was killed in the uh, January 7th shootings. Um, his, his cartoons were interesting to me also because all the figures that at least that I saw had yellow skin, which reminds me of The Simpsons. Another strategy that we find uh, the the Charlie Hebdo cartoonist using that we can trace back to the 19th century and even earlier um, is what's called a portrait charge, uh, and that literally translates to charge portrait. Um, these are akin to uh, what you can have done if you go to an art fair and go to an artist who does sort of a caricatured image where it's it's largely centered on your face and your features are exaggerated that's basically a portrait charge um in the 19th century it was uh, also linked to the study of physiognomy the idea that um physical features sort of denote personality traits um, and this, the use of the portrait charge um, was really common uh, in the work of some of Charlie Hebdo's uh, cartoonists, especially the cartoonist Rhys, um, which was the, the pen name for Laurent Sorguisseau, um, and he was one who was injured in the shooting. Um, we also see it somewhat in the work of Cabu, um, the pen name for Jean Cabu, um, who, like Charb, was, uh, was killed in the shooting. Another strategy that we see a lot in Charlie Hebdo cartoons, um, something that uh, comes from these 19th century precedents, are these really loaded symbolic elements, especially things like pens and quills and even the blank page. Um, another a, a great example of that from um, the archives of Charlie Hebdo um, were a series of, of covers. One had uh, a sort of Neanderthal figure holding a, a torch in one hand and a, a sort of vessel of oil in the other. And uh, the caption is the invention of humor. Um, the idea being that the invention of humor, humor is throwing fuel on the fire. And there was a banner across this image that says, uh, translates basically to irresponsible journal, which is the slogan of Charlie Hebdo. It's an irresponsible journal. The corresponding cover had just a blank page with the with a banner over it that said responsible journal. So um, they're sort of calling attention to the importance, the importance of satire and humor um, although many would say that that's irresponsible. So I think what we're getting at here is this notion of political correctness, right? right? That to, to be responsible means to be politically correct, but that to be politi politically correct means that you're not being satirical. Right. And of course, the presumption that we're operating under here is that satire does have an important role to play in contemporary political life. Right. On that note... Uh, I want to just briefly talk about some of the actual social pol socio-political uh, subjects that were really part and parcel of Charlie Hebdo's production. Um, they produced many images that were strongly anti-religious um, and really anti-all religions. Um, so they criticized 
Islam, they criticized Judaism, they criticized Catholicism. Um, And this is something, again, that we see a lot in in the 19th century and through to the 20th century in France, Um, even though we had the French Revolution in 1789, which sort of overturned the um, authority of the church as well as uh, as well as the monarchy, you still have many laws that are based around um, uh, sort of antiquated uh, religious uh, ideology that continued through the 19th century and into the 20th century. One more theme that runs through from Charlie Hebdo back into um, the 19th and even 18th century is the very particular way that French um, satirists use sex and also scatological humor or poop humor. Um, This is one of those aspects of French satire that as an American, I find the most unpalatable and the most difficult to understand. Um, But they really do have this obsession with, um, with uh, sex and poop. Um, So uh, within the 20th century, one of the most famous examples of this kind of, of humor and satire is uh, a series of, of prints designed for mass distribution by Pablo Picasso. And of course, Picasso um, is originally born in Spain, but comes to France and, and has his whole artistic formation within French culture. The work is called The Dream and Lie of Franco. And um, these obviously are about uh, the Spanish Civil War in the 1930s. Um, and we will post them on our website so you can take a look for yourself and see how um, Picasso uses a cubist and a surrealist visual language, but combines that with these elements of sort of the raunchy and scatological um, in order to make these satirical images taking down Franco. If you're an American um, and, and you are into comics, you might uh, recognize this kind of impulse in the work of R. Crumb, who um, is is very famously known for his images of um, you know, really thick ladies. Um, and he has uh, a lot of sexual content in his, in his work. Another subject that you find um, dealt with a lot within the pages of, of Charlie Hebdo is the, the military and, and police structures uh, in France. And this is, again, something that's very common in 19th century caricature uh, in France. France was plagued by revolution and war in that period. And, um, Actually, just earlier today, I saw a post by the uh, critic and artist Martha Rosler. Um, she posted a bunch of images by Cabu um, relating to police brutality. And Rosler argues that these are Im- images that the American media won't show. And obviously, in America right now, the subject of, of police brutality, especially when it comes to issues of race, is, is something that's um, it's, it's, it's a very dynamic and divisive topic. And I think the author Olivier Tuneau um, really sums up some of the things, some of these, these issues that we've just been bringing up relating to the military, police, um, you know, sexuality, things like that. Um, in an open letter he, he just posted recently, and I'm going to just read a quote from that. He says, in speaking of Charlie Hebdo specifically, he says, even if their sense of humor was apparently inacceptable uh, to English minds, and he's speaking to a British audience, but I think we can we can substitute American in there as well. Please take my word for it. It fell well within the French tradition of satire, and after all was only intended for a French audience. It is only by reading or seeing it out of context that some cartoons appear as racist or Islamophobic. What 
Olivier Tonneau is is responding to is um, uh, some criticism that has emerged in the wake of this tragedy. Um, people have pointed out that these cartoons, um, while we have identified Charlie Hebdo's general political sympathies as lying with the left, that these cartoons are um, perhaps either insensitive or um, even um, more extremely actually racist and Islamophobic. And so at least from his perspective, he sees them as, as not being um, racist or Islamophobic, but as only um, operating that way if you don't understand um, the the sort of French culture, basically, especially the French culture of satire. And so what we wanted to do is just to provide some historical context to say, well, if these images are within a French tradition, what is that tradition that Tuno is referring to? One of the hallmarks of France's culture at this particular moment in time is the rise of a right wing that is fundamentally xenophobic, that is Islamophobic, that is anti-Semitic. And so to understand Charlie Hebdo in that context, um, is to understand that when you see images that look um, Islamophobic or um, anti-Semitic or what have you, or just basically right-wing and conservative on the cover of that publication, what they're doing is they're not actually um, professing those ideas, they're satirizing those ideas. So um, they, they cannot be read literally. Now, the fact that Charlie Hebdo is basically hyperbolizing the position of the right wing is is taking their position and drawing it to extremes to produce very derogatory um, culturally insensitive images um, doesn't necessarily excuse the fact that most of the um, sort of editorial board of Charlie Hebdo is itself um, white and in a relative um, position of privilege and power um, but to accuse them to sort of read the covers literally and accuse them of professing uh, some of these right-wing sen sentiments when they are in fact lampooning them um, would be the equivalent, um, as pointed out by a new website um, called Understanding Charlie Hebdo, this would be the equivalent of confusing Stephen Colbert's character for Stephen Colbert himself and saying that you know, Stephen Colbert is a, a right-wing conservative, you know, uh, Bill O'Reilly loving nut job. Um, he's not, right? He's just merely amplifying some of those tendencies on the right in order to make fun of them. And so to put Charlie Hebdo in the French cultural context of 2015 is to understand um, that it is very much informed and shaped by the rise of the right wing in French politics. I'm sure most of you have seen the the hashtag or the images that um, have have been circulating the Je suis Charlie um, or I am Charlie, um, and this is meant to evoke solidarity with ideas of free press and satire, and um, especially in the wake of really tragic events like this, the killing of journalists by ISIS in recent months, the uh, contested release of the interview because of its portrayal of, you know, North Korea. Actually, just last night, January 11th, there was a huge demonstration, a very public demonstration in Paris, which I'm sure all of you saw photos of, roughly 3.7 million people, or um, I think that's been estimated as roughly half the population of Paris, turned up and, and it obviously drew people not just from Paris but from all across Europe and what they were demonstrating was their support for the people of France, their support I believe for the idea of freedom of speech and freedom of expression um, and just basically solidarity coming together um, 
against or you know to to counter the impulse towards fear and and um, cultural division that these terrorists want to engender. You've also started to see uh, the meme "Je suis pas Charlie" or "I am not Charlie," um, and and many journalists responding. I think in in most cases in a sensitive way and saying, of course, this was an incredibly tragic event. These were murders, um, but that I mean, for a variety of reasons, don't necessarily want to align themselves in in that way with with Charlie Hebdo's message, with its politics, with its um, manner of expression. Again, I mean, we've already talked about how some people have um, responded to these images saying that they're Islamophobic, um, racist, uh, and also in a similar way that you saw, I think, you know, post 9-11, that uh, people worry that this will actually, um, this, this show of solidarity will have the negative consequence of sort of galvanizing people in a sort of uh, anti-Islamic rhetoric and action. So just something that uh, many people are are wary of in this show of solidarity with uh, with freedom of the press and with um, with magazines or with journals like Charlie Hebdo. I want to I want to actually uh, wrap up with a quote um, from the former editor of the American satirical journal The Onion, um, Joe Randazzo. Uh, this was a quote of his from uh, an interview with MSNBC. He said a general guideline for any satirist, any responsible satirist, is you should never aim your joke at the victim. You should always punch up. So I hope that people who make satirical commentary in the days to come try to keep the long view uh, and punch up. So ultimately, what I think the the debate about Charlie Hebdo is is circling around is this question of whether or not Charlie Hebdo was punching up. Um, did they have the right ideas, the right institutions, and the right people in their crosshairs, or were they simply punching down and? Uh, taking um, cheap shots at communities that are already disenfranchised and marginalized and prejudiced against. And that's not a question that we're going to solve, but uh, we just wanted to put that on the table. As always, you can find images that we've discussed in our episode today on our website, arthistory.today. When you're on our website, you can also go and look at um, what we call the postscript, which is a section on each episode's page that includes material that um, was not covered in our podcast recording. So if you are automatically downloading these podcasts, um, we do encourage you to to check out the website as well um, with the supplementary material that's located there. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash arthistorytoday and on Twitter at arthistoday. That's A-R-T-H-I-S-T-T-O-D-A-Y. 